All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a Sunday edition of Jackman Radio. I'm your host, Eric Jackman, and I'm really excited today to be joined by a very interesting guest. I've been wanting to have her on for a while. I've become a fan of her show in the last couple of months, and that's Sabrina Salvati. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Eric. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, so I've just I'd seen some of your videos kind of pop up in my stream and some of your stuff come up on my Twitter because I think we probably follow some similar accounts. And, um, you know, I, I roll a lot with the libertarians and liberty oriented people. Um, you know, I consider myself an independent, but I have, uh, you know, a lot of views that libertarians have, like on foreign policy and drugs and civil liberties. But I want to have been wanting to have more conversations with people who are, you know, more in the progressive realm and maybe on the left side of things. So I was really excited to discover your, your stuff and see that we have a lot in common. So if you just want to tell the audience uh, who you are and, and what you do and a little bit about your background. Sure thing. Um, so I'm Sabrina Salvati and I host a podcast called Savvy Saps. And I'm also a part of Revolutionary Blackout Network, which is a collective group. There's five of us uh, and we're all uh, leftists per se. Um, we came from the Bernie Sanders movement. So some of us canvassed for Bernie Sanders and members of the squad. And we've just seen a lot of, I would say, disappointment uh, with that movement since the 2020 election. And so we decided to put our activism online. So a lot of us like were activists first before we decided to to start our shows and to show people that there's other ways of getting things done instead of just relying on a, a candidate like a Bernie Sanders to hopefully win and get in there and implement some of those progressive uh, policies. And what we found like since we started our platform is that there are a lot of people that were Bernie supporters that are very upset. Uh, just because Bernie Sanders did not follow through uh, with his movement when he said that even if he lost, he would still be outside with the people and his movement. That did not happen. When we saw him defend Joe Biden constantly time and time again. And what we've seen is basically a lot of these progressives that have gotten a chance to get into D.C., they have moved further and further to the right uh, instead of. Uh, trying to move Joe Biden to the left per se, which we didn't think Joe Biden was going to move to the left anyway, but they just, they've kind of stopped fighting. And that's a big struggle that you have when you go in through the democratic party, because even though a lot of these candidates ran grassroots campaigns, they're in a, a party that is corporate. So what is happening is the party has basically consumed those progressive politicians and the politicians are bending to the will of the party. So that's where a lot of this started. There was a lot of frustration and, and disappointment with those uh, those politicians. So that's why we started our platforms. That's awesome. Yeah. So just taking some of that energy from a campaign where you met like-minded people and activists and that energy off of it. And then, you know, bringing it online and, you know, showing the continuation of the work um, were part of the things that inspired you to get involved with the campaigns in the first place. So did you work, did you, um, I'm thinking Ayanna Presley, I know, cause you're from Boston, right? Right. Right. Did you do right. any work for her campaign or something like that? So for Ayanna Presley more so, I wasn't a part of her campaign per se, but I did help in getting the word out 
Uh, at the time, like I know a lot of people nationally didn't know who she was, but she was a Boston city councilor. Uh, so I was in her district at that point in time. And she was another one that I thought would really go in and be a powerhouse, so to speak, because she has done a lot locally as city councilor. And she was kind of known for pushing back uh, when she was a local politician. But her, just like the others, like AOC and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, they caved uh, once they got in because the pressure is so immense to the point that they're even receiving threats. So I've heard Honor Presley talk about that, uh, threats to her family as well. So it's just the progressive movement is a bust. And I, I'm not one that's proud to admit that. It took me a long time to finally say, this is not working. We need to do something different, right? And I, I think that those politicians in particular, one of the things, one of the places where they have failed is that they totally, for the most part, have written off independent media, which was the, the platform that got them elected in the first place. They were the ones who created awareness about those candidates. And they've written off uh, left independent media because they know they're being heavily critiqued and they know that people are are upset with them for not doing what they they pledged to do. Uh, as a part of Justice Democrats, they actually signed a pledge. There were certain principles that they were supposed to implement. And they, for the most part, from what I've seen, the only one they really pushed was the Green New Deal. But the other ones they have not pushed. Uh, they're supposed to be anti-war, uh, with the exception of U.S. territories. We see them supporting funding to go to Ukraine uh, time and time again. Uh, they're supposed to be against that. We don't hear them speaking out against the U.S. planned uh invasion of of Haiti or intervention in Haiti. We don't hear them speaking out about the atrocities that has been committed upon people in Somalia by the U.S. government, uh, with the exception of Ilhan Omar wrote a letter, but that's it. That's that's the weakness there. We don't hear them speaking out against uh, what has happened to people in Yemen, also because yeah. of the United States government with Saudi Arabia, their relationship that they have there. What we have seen them do is vote along with corporate Democrats over 92% of the time. So this strategy of, of justice Democrats to come into the Democratic Party and, and implement this hostile takeover, that never happened. They caved. And so what we have seen this year, all of the other progressive candidates that did run, most of them didn't even win their primaries. And there was a lack of support and excitement around those candidates because of the behavior that we've seen that has been demonstrated by members of the squad. Yeah, I mean, they, they got in there and, you know, I had high hopes foreign policy wise because that's really one of my big uh, issues that I care about and concern myself with. And they all pretty much have caved on the support for Israel, not being critical really in any serious way um, about Israel. And then, of course, we saw a bunch of them um, with that letter that they wanted to all put together saying we need to stop this bullshit with Ukraine. And then they caved on that within under 24 hours. So there's not really like a <clears throat> anti-war firebrand. Um, what I think of in, in my lifetime, like Dennis Kucinich, who was in there when I was um, in high school and college and uh, during his 2008 presidential uh, run for president, I got to know him really well here in New Hampshire and become pretty friendly with him. And I can't really think of anyone on the left who's anywhere near that level of being a stalwart of being anti-war and getting other progressives together um, to resist 
the obviously the Republican warmongering, but also within the own Democratic Party uh, warmongering. And, and now, like, we're just <clears throat> we're completely seeing the script uh, being flipped on itself. And we have like Liz Cheney uh, campaigning for warmongering Democrats because some of the MAGA Republicans aren't sufficiently pro-war and pro let's blow uh, Russia out of the water inside with Ukraine. So that's right. That's that's right. It's it's been um, an eye-opening experience, I think, for a lot of people. Like the left is supposed to be anti-war, and now we see the left is is okay with war. I mean, Rokana, he's he's in an interview with Max Blumenthal where he says that he is anti-war except for this, 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 and this. So you think you you're not anti-war? Yeah, I mean, anti-war. it's just it's it's. It's hilarious when you think about it, because it's just you have to wonder where is the United States moving politically if we don't really have anyone that's really has has the guts to stand up to uh, these these powers in place. And I, right now, from what I've seen uh, in D.C., there doesn't seem to be anyone, at least on the left, that's willing to do that. Right. Yeah. Some of my libertarian buddies say uh, we're so far in our own end zone that we're looking to people like Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene, who have a little bit of anti-war, anti-Russia. Uh, they're not caught up in the anti-Russia hysteria, pro-Ukraine. Let's just continue to send them billions and billions of dollars. So it's like kind of a sad state of affairs um, when we look at that. But when I, I think about people maybe you know more on the right, like Thomas Massey is anti-war. He's probably the most anti-war member of the whole house of representatives right now. Right. Right. It's, it's, I, 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 it's like, I, I don't know what to say. It's, it's very frustrating, you know? I mean, and I also think too, I have been talking to people about this conflict with Russia and Ukraine. And I got to tell you, you know, over time, even people who were for uh, the U S government sending them aid in the beginning, even some of them now are like, this is just ridiculous. Like how much more money are you going to send them when we have people here who are trying to figure out how they're going to pay for groceries next month because the grocery prices are still high, uh, how they're going to pay for gas, uh, depending on where you live. Gas in California is still incredibly high based on what I've seen. So I think that it's like the American people are seeing billions and billions of dollars going out the door to another country. But when it comes to helping the people here, we're told they don't have the money. And it's not that they don't have the money. If they would reduce the bloated MIC budget, which that's where a lot of the money goes, they could implement some of these programs to help the American people, but they don't want to do that. And that's a big part of the problem. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And, you know, I know you, so were you part of Bernie's 2020 and 2016 like campaign volunteering or working or just one of the campaigns? More so heavily 2020, uh, because I believed at that time, like, it's really interesting. I, I'm surprised at the number of people that wanted Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders. That was really surprising to me because I thought that the Clintons were very corrupt. And I thought most Americans were aware of that, uh, considering their past with Whitewater and, and other issues as well. But I think it, it became a, a fear mongering tactic against Donald Trump. Well, we have to we have to pick Hillary because Bernie won't beat Trump. Same rhetoric in 2020. We have to pick Joe Biden because Bernie won't beat Trump. In 2020, if, if we were to look at polling, like Bernie Sanders, his campaign, like at that point, really took off uh, massively. We saw him on mainstream media more, even though they smeared him every chance that they got pretty much. Um, 
but more people knew about him then than they did in, in 2016. And so for me, at one point, I remember he was number one in the polls. Uh, even after he had a heart attack, he was still in the top three uh, uh, in polling. So to me, it's just when I when I look at the exit polls and I look at the way that he was polling, it doesn't make any sense. And, and after talking to a lot of people, the response that I received is that, well, I voted for Joe Biden because I didn't think that Bernie Sanders would beat Donald Trump. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think Bernie would have probably killed Trump in the general election. I think he would have because there's a lot of crossover in, in some regards with MAGA and Bernie, um, at least with Trump's uh, anti-war inclinations. You know, granted, he got in there and he didn't he, he largely maintained the status quo of militarism and sanctions um, and uh, because of the Russia gating went Obama didn't even send uh, weaponry to Ukraine to help them. But Trump did that, you know, because right. he didn't want to be perceived as being weak on Russia and being so. Uh, in the bosom of Putin and, and pro-Russia. So, yep. um, you know, although Trump, I liked a lot of his 2016 primary rhetoric, uh, you know, certainly when he was in the debates with Jeb Bush down in South Carolina and, uh, you know, he really just, uh, <clears throat> you know, stuck it to Bush and reminded everybody how his brother got the Iraq war going and everything. Um, you know, you can't, you can't really call, uh, you know, Trump, this super anti-war uh, candidate or president, because he just he, he kept a he did more drone strikes. He kept those going. Um, so a lot of the rhetoric is good, but, you know, the uh, the action doesn't match with it. So there is some of that synergy. But, yeah, I, I really I think I think Trump Trump would have uh, lost to Bernie Sanders in, in a general election. And um, in 2020, I was with Tulsi's campaign. So I worked in her campaign for a year up here in New Hampshire and her anti-war messaging was was what you know made her an attractive candidate to me and uh dennis kucinich was like an early mentor of hers so mm -hmm. if kucinich said she was good you know that sounded good to me but certainly her uh she's doing quite an evolution these days uh, leaving the democratic party what, what, are, what are your thoughts on that i don't blame her for leaving the democratic party but uh she said in joe rogan's podcast that she was in and now an independent but I see her supporting and endorsing Republicans. So she doesn't seem to be independent to me, um, but I, I applaud her for leaving the Democratic Party. And, and I think the thing is with Tulsi Gabbard, she wasn't going to have a chance in 2020 because she chose to endorse Bernie Sanders instead of Hillary Clinton. And I always remember that. And after that, the Democratic Party had pretty much written her off. Uh, and then there was also the rhetoric that she had towards Kamala Harris during the primary debates, which was 100 percent truth about Kamala Harris's record. The DNC kind of saw that as though she's trying to take down uh, someone that they were really trying to push up. Uh, at one point. So they saw her more so as a troublemaker. Um, so I think that's the thing with Tulsi Gabbard. I don't know where she's going to go from here um, politically, but based on what I've seen so far, she's been endorsing Republican candidates. And she also endorsed a Republican candidate that wants to put American soldiers in Ukraine. So this is the thing about anti-war. Like you, you say you're anti-war, but you're endorsing the guy who wants to bring American troops over to Ukraine. So to me, it just... I don't know. Her rhetoric doesn't really match sometimes. And I think that I think that politically, I think Tulsi is is more towards the Republican Party, even though she said she's an independent. Yeah, definitely. She went independent. And I, I don't think she's endorsed any Democrats um, that are running in any of the elections. You know, a lot of them are, are just kind of MAGA 
aligned and MAGA friendly candidates like Carrie Lake in Arizona, uh, Lee Zeldin in New York, um, Kent, Joe Kent out in Washington State, who's a fellow veteran. So she's got a lot of synergy with those guys. In our events, we did, I think we did over 100 town halls up here in New Hampshire when she ran in the 2020 primary. And we would see a lot of libertarians and a lot of MAGA people would come and they were very warm and receptive to her message and, and liked her. They didn't obviously didn't agree with her on everything, but um, mm-hmm. so it, it's, it's not surprising to see the direction it's going. And like you said, she totally pissed off the powers that be in the democratic machines, specifically the Clintons and Schultz Wasserman, when she stepped down as co-chair of the DNC to endorse, endorse Bernie Sanders. So that's what she came on a lot of people's radar um, for the first time. And then <clears throat> when she went to Syria in 2017, um, I love to see that because I was a freshman in high school leading up to the build up to the Iraq war. And I always said, mm-hmm. I'd love to see a member of Congress go to, go to Iraq and check it out and see what's going on before this thing's going to be brought to a vote to become a war to send yep. my peers who are signing up in droves because of 9-11 to join the war machine and go over to the Middle East and kill people. That's right. So when I saw her do that, that showed me showed me some guts and she was something different um, outside of, of both parties and um, the, the permanent you know, establishment in Washington. So, um, but yeah, I'm going to be interested to see what she does next. And, and I was just saying this to my friend the other day. I'm like, look, man, like <laughs> out of the two major parties, if she does run for president again and she goes down the, the GOP lane, in my opinion, she's still going to be like the best out of a, just a field of, of uh, horrible candidates. So I don't know what, what, uh, what you think about 24, if you have any, any possible candidates that interest you, whether it's Jimmy Dore with the People's Party or anyone in the Green Party sphere or Libertarian sphere, what, what are your thoughts on the next election? Hi, hi, hi. I would really like to see Jill Stein run again uh, through the Green Party. Um, I won't vote for anyone that runs through the two-party system. So I've, I've made that pretty clear to a lot of like my audience members. So it would, it would be really nice to see either Jill Stein run again. Um, I asked Chris Hedges if he was interested in running. Um, he said he's he's not you know interested. He has been asked before uh, by the Green Party. I asked Cornell West. He said, we'll never say never. Same thing with Cynthia McKinney. She said, never say oh, yeah. never. Um, I think if you if you have someone run as an independent or third party, it really needs to be a big name. And I think this is where before uh, some of those other candidates kind of fell off the radar. Nobody knew who they were. Uh, there isn't a lot of advertising because there isn't as much money poured into third party and independent campaigns. The resources are not the same. Um, but I think that if if we could get someone who's known and who's loved, uh, by a lot of people. And that's why I mentioned those people, because especially someone like Cornell West, a lot of people like Cornell West. Um, but I think that it, it's going to have to be the younger generation that really pushes this forward in reference to getting out of the duopoly, because I've, I've interviewed a lot of people and I can tell you like some of my heroes, <laughs> or I guess I would call heroes. They, you know, they, they've kind of, they fought their fight. And now they feel like it's time for it's time for other people to to fight back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jill Stein. Yeah, I I love Jill Stein. She's Jackman Radio's first ever in-person interview. So we in the 15 um, campaign. So my brother supported. uh, I have a twin brother, Mike, who I do the show with sometimes. He supported Jill Stein in 2016 and I supported Gary Johnson. So we were both, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, third parties kind of on the somewhat on the other end of things. But um 
because I'd worked on Gary Johnson's 2012 campaign. But yeah, we interviewed Jill Stein. She invited us to her house in Lexington, Mass. And we went down and hung out there for the afternoon, brought a camera crew, set up our cameras and chatted with her. And, and she really, she's a very impressive woman. And mm -hmm. uh, I, she's, she's so on the money about so many things. And um, it was funny when Trump was president, uh, because, you know, obviously they accused uh, Tulsi being a Russian asset, saying the Green Party mm -hmm. and Jill Stein's a Russian asset. And Trump's like, Jill Stein, I don't know a lot about her. I mean, I know she likes environment. But that I don't really. She's not a Russian asset, okay? Chelsea Gabbard's <laughs> not a Russian asset. I don't know. I, I don't know a lot about her, but she's not an agent of Russia. And uh, that's what a, one of the things that stands out. He said about Jill Stein, she likes environment. You know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I, I've interviewed multiple Green Party candidates, and and I told them I was like, you guys need to do better with marketing. You need to do better with getting your message out there, and you need to really want to win. Like you can't just otherwise people just see this as some kind of club. And then every now and then you throw in candidates. Uh, that's not how it should be. You have to want to win. You have to give it your all. And I think that was the difference with Jill Stein. Like Jill Stein really, really wanted to win. Right. Uh, but I, I, I've seen some of the other races. Matthew Ho is another one I think really, really wants to win. Democratic Party has fought back against him heavily in North Carolina. Uh, so he's fought back against his like lawsuit and everything. And I think. There are people who are running as third party or independent candidates that have a powerful message. But part of the problem is the marketing materials are really not working to get their name out there the way that it could and as well as advertising as well. So I think that it's kind of, you know, some people kind of have this notion that like, OK, well, the Green Party's there, but, you know. They're just there to be like an alternative, not really to win. And I think that mindset has to change. Yeah, they got to get a little more competitive and pull some of the pages out of the playbooks of the two major parties to get attention mm -hmm. and uh, to gain more relevance. I mean, up here in New Hampshire, the the Libertarian Party is, I don't know if you've seen anything they've done in the last couple months. Uh, one of my really good friends and my co-host of a show I do once a month called The Four Horsemen, his name's Reed Coverdale. Um, you know, he's, he helps run the uh, Twitter account <clears throat> and he's big in with the party. And they, you know, got the attention of Meghan McCain. You know, they put out some pretty, they go pretty hard in the paint, but they've gotten like national news, global news. They've upped their following and they're part of the conversation now. And and they're, they're actually running like kind of an effective campaign where they're getting noticed. And um, at the debates last week with uh, Don Balduck, the Republican, Maggie Hassan, the Democrat, the uh, Libertarian candidates, a guy named Jeremy Kaufman. And they showed up there, you know, to protest and sign wave. And um, Don Bolduc, uh was like out running with his, his supporters and a uh, libertarian activist went up to him, you know, with his camera to film him and, you know, aggressively ask him a question. And Balduk like elbowed him in this, you know, it's all caught on tape and he elbowed him. But then when the when the cops came running, Balduk grabbed his arm and said, oh, he hit me, he hit me. And it turned into a whole thing and the guy got arrested. Um, but it's clear as day he didn't assault Don Baldick. It's the other way around. Baldick's the one who made contact with him. Um, and like that got that got covered on Hannity. It got covered um, on like all pretty big networks. Now, granted, it was saying Libertarian showed up and attacked a Senate candidate. But because right. they had video of everything um, and they're just they're just going so hard with social media and, and their messaging and, and they're, and, you know, they're, they're really <clears throat> They're really on with it. They're, it's having an impact, and it very well the, the libertarian candidate very well could sway 
which way this race goes up here in New Hampshire. So now we're mm -hmm. not, you know, libertarians aren't going to win. And, and if I had to pick, I would pick the libertarian because he's the most anti-war, has the best pro-peace message, you know, civil liberties, dr drug laws and all that. But uh, aside, you know, obviously outside from not being able to win, this third party is having an impact on this election up here. So it's it's been pretty, uh, pretty interesting to see it play out. Agreed. Agreed. I think I saw that video on Twitter yesterday, the one you're referring to. I think I saw it on Twitter. But yeah, it's just, you know, social media is is uh, a huge win, I think, for a lot of them. Like social media has been working out really well uh, for Matthew Ho, uh, third party mm -hmm. candidate. So you using those platforms to get the message out. Uh, Larry Sharp came on uh, yeah, not too long that. ago. Same thing. Uh, he had to deal with uh, the party there or the Republican Party kicking him off the ballot. Like, this is the thing I want people to know, even if you may not necessarily consider yourself to be a part of that political ideology. When people are being removed from ballots, you need to know about it. Uh, everybody has the right to be on there. All those candidates have the right to be on there. And the lengths that the two party system will go go to just to remove them. That tells you everything that you need to know about the system. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Matthew is, uh, I saw Roger Waters is doing some stuff for his campaign. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I love Roger Waters. I, uh, I met him back in March, um, down at, uh, they're called IREMP. They're a foreign policy, uh, group that's very pro Palestine and, and very big on countering APAC and Israel's influence in our politics. So, mm -hmm. uh, Roger is a, Roger Waters is a big supporter of them and he, you know, goes to their conference every year and speaks. So we got a chance to go down and hear him speak and meet him. And I got to ask him a couple of questions on camera. So he's, that's a guy who puts his money where his mouth is. That's right. That's right. Sure. Uh, he also um, has heavily supported, uh, you know, Julian Assange. And mm -hmm. they also have like, at least I know at the Dallas concert, there were Assange uh, tables that were set up at his concert. So yes. Yeah. It's badass. I mean, he's, he's got enough money and power and platform and visibility. Um, you know, granted he's still, he's putting, he's putting himself out there and it's not a popular uh, thing to do. And it was funny at the conference we saw him at the press club in DC, he was reading emails he would send to like Madonna and other like big name artists, basically shaming them for playing in Israel and not speaking out for Julian Assange and uh, WikiLeaks um, and, and, and just towing the line because it's for their career, the good of their career. So mm -hmm. he's uh, there's not a lot. There's not many left like Roger Waters that, that we have this this uh, of that just someone who's reached the mountaintop of fame and celebrity and power and, and wealth, but really, in my opinion, using it for, for good. Yes. And is willing to speak out. Cause I feel like a lot of those voices that are uh, celebrities, so to speak, I feel like there were more of them in the past. Like we don't really have a, some people may say LeBron, I disagree because he walks back his statements too many times. We don't really have like a Muhammad Ali that is willing to speak out against the war, uh, you know, like there was in the past. Like we don't, where are these voices? Like where are these, because even people like, eh, bad example, but even people like Al Sharpton, they sold out. Like they they used to have these powerful you know messages and then they started to make money and now they've just become these neo uh, neocons. And, and I think that, that's a big part of the problem. I was really disappointed to see a couple of days ago, Ralph Nader, someone who I have immense uh, respect for, 
even Ralph Nader is telling people the Democratic Party is the party that supports Medicare for all. They don't, which is exactly why Bernie Sanders bill has not been brought to the floor. Rokana told me this himself. They don't have the votes for it. So it was it was really it was disturbing to see even someone like Ralph Nader, who he knows better and he knows how the system works. Even he is telling people to vote for the Democratic Party now. Yeah, I, I've, I'm with you. I voted Nader in 08, Nader Gonzalez. Um, I met Ralph out at a big speech um, in 2008. I went to the DNC when Obama was coronated. I was a senior in college and I was part of a group. We went to both conventions and um, I was like, I don't, I don't care about all this Democratic uh, committee, national committee bullshit. I want to find something cool. And I heard about an event that Ralph Nader was headlining with... Um, the guy from Rage Against the Machine, uh, the guitarist. Uh, uh, Tommy? Tommy Morello was there. Um, and obviously Nader. And while I was there, Alex Jones showed up. So it brought things to a whole a whole <laughs> other level. Uh, Cynthia McKinney was there too. That's that's when I met Cynthia McKinney for the first time. I met her. She was, she was out there with Rosa Clemente and Cindy Sheehan. And they were, they they did an event. The three of them did an event together. That was just like lights out. They spoke and I got to meet Cynthia. um, And I've had her on my show. I saw you've had her on your show. So that's, that's uh, pretty awesome. Um, Oh, I mean, we're, we're seeing Kanye West speak out right now. I mean, what, what do you make of the whole Kanye thing? I mean, I'm I'm just like, holy shit. Is a guy digging himself a bigger grave or like, is he, is he right about some things? I think it's a mix of all those things. What's, what's your thoughts on it? I think it's a mix of all those things. I will say, I think that for Kanye West, it might be good for him to take a break from the spotlight for a while, uh, because the more he speaks out, the more people are are coming after him. Right. And like some of the things that he said, I understand where he's coming from. And then he he'll follow it up, with just something really off the wall and cringe. And that's where he loses people. Right. So people are just looking at him like, what are you talking about? Like, For example, the doctor situation. So he talked about he was trying to issue an apology, I guess. And he talked about his doctor, the one that diagnosed him and said that he was bipolar, which I still believe he is uh, based on what I've seen from his behavior. And he said, I'm not going to say, you know, the race or ethnicity of this doctor, but let's just say uh, he's he's Jewish. What? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he totally uh, yeah, yeah. he totally goes there. What did you think when you saw him and Candace Owens wearing a shirt that said "White Lives Matter"? I mean, I think that's Kanye wanting attention. Like it's here's the thing: when you you put yourself out there that way, you know Kanye West knows that these actions are going to receive like cringe responses from people. He knows he's going to trigger people. That's why I think that he does it. So. When he's surprised or shocked that people respond the way that they do, to me, it doesn't make any sense. He knew exactly what he was doing when he wore that shirt with Candace Owens, of all people. What did he expect people to say? What did he expect them to think? And I think that someone like Candace Owens, I think she's using people like Kanye West to make herself more notable and more famous. I don't think a lot of these people, I have to say, I don't think a lot of them really, really care about the issues the way that they say that they do. I think a lot of them are just looking for an opportunity to become famous and to write books. Like a popularity thing and to be a lightning rod for controversy to get clicks. That's right. That's right. I I would love to see Kanye talk to Chris Hedges, talk to Cynthia McKinney, um, you know, talk to some people who have a 
career and they've sacrificed their well-being in their name with their critiques of Israel and the, the power of Zionism. But the, in my opinion, they've done it in a more responsible, nuanced and edu- educated way than what Kanye is just firing like buckshot around and say, saying crazy shit and 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 going out there and, and and in some ways that will that will give other people who have spent many years researching this stuff and have yeah. more of a nuanced understanding of it and, and a better way of presenting the information it makes us look really bad like it will tie all of us into what kanye is saying and then the anti-semitic smear can just you can get slapped around with it and there's nothing you can do about it so there's no question he is, you know, calling out very powerful entities and interests. Um, and certainly Kyrie Irving, it's it's interesting to see what's been happening to him. I mean, here's another guy has a huge platform, has all the money in the world, knows that just with one tweet, he can, like what Trump can do with a news cycle, can dictate a news cycle for a whole day. So I just, I like what you said about Kanye maybe taking a step back out of the spotlight and, and maybe learning more about about the topic and, and what he's talking about. Right, because he did say that he doesn't read. So right. <laughs> it, you have to, what are your sources? What Where's your data yeah. to back up what you're saying? So right. otherwise it just sounds like you're just ranting and that's why people won't take you seriously if you don't have any type of data or sources to back up what you're saying. Not just about, oh, I had this doctor and he misdiagnosed me, which who says he was misdiagnosed? Right. You know, so that's another thing. Did he get a second opinion? Did he get a third opinion? I don't know. Like it's, you know, Kanye's behavior has been very odd uh, ever since his mother passed away, to be honest with you. That's when I started to notice a, a, a shift and a change. Um, he was on an interview recently with uh, Pierce. Uh, Pierce Morgan. Uh, Pierce, yeah, Pierce Morgan. And he said that he is now reincarnated as Robert Kardashian. I'm like, oh what? Like, it's just this some of the things that he says, it doesn't make any sense. And it's just really off the wall. Um, so I think I do think that Kanye West needs some type of help. And I, I will tell you, uh, one of the things I have noticed, um, I have a friend who was diagnosed with bipolar when we were in college. And I have I will say the longer it goes without treatment before you get some type of help, the worse it can it can become. So I do think that he does need to get some type of help. Doesn't necessarily have to be from that doctor. No, it doesn't. But. Right. There's there's something off there. Yeah. But then when you see he, he releases texts from his trainer saying, you know, we'll get you back in and get you all uh, drugged up again and your visits with your kids are going to be very different. That's pretty scary. And, and yeah. that speaks to what some other celebrities who have gone through shit like this have said. We have handlers. We have people that control us. And this kind of stuff does happen. We'll get sent in and they'll say we're crazy. We're off our rocker. And then. They'll retighten the MK Ultra wiring and get them back on message. <laughs> I think if, if you're a celebrity, I think it's very important to have the people who are managing your brand. I think it needs to be people who are already close to you. Yeah. Not people that you you hire after you become famous. Because right. I've I've heard this story over and over again, right? Uh other celebrities, they lost all their money because they hired someone to be their accountant. And it comes to find out that they were stealing their money, like without them really knowing. 
There's been a, several stories about that. Are people giving them bad advice on purpose so that they can just tank uh, their career? But I think if, if you have like that, that strong bond with your family or your friends that were your friends before you started making money and still have them in your life and have them involved, I think you can have a more positive experience. And that goes the same thing for a lot of these child actors. Mm. They've talked about this as well. Uh, it seems like the child actors that did not go down this downward spiral, right? Because there's several stories about that in Hollywood. Seems like the ones who who did not have that experience were very much attached still to their families and they weren't treated differently. Like their parents were still making them do chores. It didn't matter that they were famous, right? Their parents were still very much involved uh, in their, their day-to-day with their career. I think for the parents that let Hollywood kind of just take their kid and raise their kid, I think that that's, that's a bad mistake and it makes it easier for you to fall down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You hear time and time again about these child actors who are exactly, they're kind of just signed off to the Hollywood system and forced to grow up very quickly and exposed to drugs and sex and abuse and, you know, terrible behavior. So, yeah, I mean, you get to that level that Kanye's at, you're world famous and, you know, you have a lot of eyes on you. I can imagine probably very difficult to know who to trust. And if it's not someone who was with you um, before you were a big name or had all this money, you know, you, you wonder about when the people come at you, what is this person's game? What's their interest? Uh, who are they serving? Because, I mean, he's... I dug a little bit into who his, his uh, trainer was there. And this guy worked, it was from Canada and he worked with, um, uh, what was his name? Posternock was his last name. And he worked with the Canadian military um, in doing like drug experimentation on soldiers and stuff and, and, and psychology. And yeah, like basically uh, you could, you could call it uh, mind control or, or behavior modification or psychology. Like he's, he's got, a lot of experience in that and he's managed a lot of a-listers as their trainer and like guru so you know you never know you know i don't want to go too off the rocker with conspiracy stuff but certainly those those text messages if those are real those were very alarming to see coming from mm-hmm. that guy to, to kanye because it's like dude you're going off script again you're way off the reservation uh we got to reel you back in otherwise you know he mentions his kids and some bad things could happen but I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll we'll see where it goes. We'll see what Kanye keeps doing. But it'd be nice to see him evolve into a responsible voice like Roger Waters. You know, <clears throat> someone right, right. who has, has that platform power and influence. But Roger Waters, uh, anyone who can cut through the bullshit of the mainstream media and the propaganda can see he is a well-spoken and eloquent voice. For, for right. a lot of that, a lot of that stuff that we want to see happen. So, with the, uh, the midterms next week, I mean, w- what are your predictions? What do you think we're going to see? I think Republicans are going to take back the House, the Senate. That one is going to be tough. I, I I don't know what's going to happen in the Senate. I'm not sure. It's very close. It's close between uh, Fetterman and and Oz. Actually, Oz just passed Fetterman uh, like a day or so ago, just by a little bit. Uh, Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock are tied. Uh, so it's it's going to be close. But also, I think people need to keep their eye on Nevada and Arizona. Um, there could also be a toss up in, in Colorado. Like, you know, it, it's really interesting to me because some of these races shouldn't even be this close. Like they, they really shouldn't. Like, you know, it's it's not a bragging point to say, 
oh, well, Warnock and, and, and Walker are tied when Warnock is the incumbent. He's so, a sitting <laughs> senator. <laughs> exactly. He should have the advantage, but it just goes to show you economically, Americans' needs are not being met. So people are very frustrated about the economy and very frustrated about inflation, regardless of what mainstream media is telling you. If you talk to working class people and people who are poor, they are fed up. And so we may see a big swing in the other direction. We saw this happen under Barack Obama as well. People were fed up and he lost. We watched him lose, what, the House and the Senate uh, after those first two years. So it could happen again with the Democratic Party. And I'm sorry, but I don't want them pointing their fingers and blaming voters because this is what some people will do. Like even Rokana told me why blame people who voted for Jill Stein for the reason why Hillary Clinton lost. No, if you do the math, Hillary Clinton still would have lost. You know, it's Hillary Clinton's fault that she didn't campaign effectively in the Rust Belt and she forgot the working class people (laughs) and tried to, you know, target her campaign towards these coastal elite academic liberals. So that's what the the Democratic Party has become. Like, they don't care about the working class people anymore. So I think this is going to, what we see happen Tuesday night, I think it's going to be based on how people feel about the economy, how they truly feel about the economy. And I've been telling people this as well. Abortion is not the number one issue for most Americans. And the Democratic Party, they shot themselves in the foot thinking that they can run on that one sole issue and that that would drive voters to come out. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I mean, winter is coming up. So those of us who live in cold parts of the country you know who have to pay out of pocket for their heating are like yeah worried worried about that like you mentioned groceries earlier they're worried about the price of food they're worried about fuel pocketbook issues so i think the republicans have done a better job of messaging around those issues and and appealing emotionally to voters and it's it's those independents that could swing the elections who if they come out we could see senator herschel walker which which mm-hmm. is like, and doctor, I mean, the, the Oz and Fetterman thing is so cartoonish. I don't know what's who's more cartoonish, the uh, Oz, Fetterman, or um, Herschel Walker. It, it's it, <laughs> it boggles the mind. My, my brother was saying he watched the Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, house debate there in Georgia. I think they only did one. And he's like, dude, I, I, that could have been an SNL skit. <laughs> it's just so, it's gotten so cartoonish. It really has become such a big joke. Like I said, like, you know, uh, John Fetterman, a lot of progressives were trying to say he's the progressive choice. He's actually not. He's also said himself he's not a progressive. Uh, he's he's against BDS. He also said he would also support the state of Israel. Like, he's not going to be any different. He's flip-flopped on fracking. fracking. Uh, come on. Like, he says he's part of the working class. If you talk to people in Pennsylvania, they'll tell you that's not true. Like, he basically lived off his pants. Parents. Like, right. and then you have Dr. Oz, who's like, you know, a doctor who was on TV, who Oprah really kind of brought him to the forefront there. But then he doesn't even live in Pennsylvania, from what I've heard. This this is the right. best they could do. I know it, it's so cartoonish. And, and, and uh, Fetterman didn't he chase down a, a young black kid with a shotgun or something That's when he was right. when he was mayor because he heard fireworks or something and thought he had a gun and, and the dude was just jogging with headphones in. Put the gun to his chest. And and some some liberals are like, oh, we'll just excuse him from that. He still won't apologize for it. He said so during the debates. Like, I, you know, these candidates, this is where we are. Now, how do we go from 
like a Bernie Sanders and and AOC back when they were running on these progressive issues? How did we go from that to, okay, well, your better option is to vote for the guy who chases down a black jogger with a gun? This is ridiculous. This is where it's at now. So it's like they're willing to throw anybody else under the bus just so they can get that win, even if it's a poor candidate. And I think all these candidates, in my opinion, they're poor candidates. Yeah, they are. So um, I know aside from your show that you do, you're also part um, of a network. It's the Revolutionary Blackout Network. So do you want to talk a little bit about that and, and what you guys do and what are the most important issues to you guys that you research and talk about and discuss? Yeah. So on RBN, uh, we cover the police state. Uh, so you will see it probably at least about once a week, a story about police brutality or police violence. Uh, one of our members was the co-founder of 10 demands for justice. So it's an abolition movement towards, um, policing. Uh, we also have multiple summits. So we we just actually just finished an activist summit where we had different uh, different like union leaders and different activist organizations come on to talk about what they do and how other people can get involved. Uh, we've done, we did a general strike summit last year, which got a lot of buzz because we were like, maybe we need to advocate for a general strike and educate people about what that would look like. Um, we've also done the anti-imperialist summit, which also created was a lot of buzz around that as well. So we had many anti-war and anti-imperialist voices on to educate people about different conflicts happening around the world uh, that usually has U.S. involvement. So um, we, we've done multiple things. We did a third party summit as well, explaining the pros and cons of third parties and if people should move in that direction or not. So summits are a big one that we do. We also cover... There, there's a, a show that uh, CJ does called You Left Shit Out, where he basically evaluates other other podcasts, usually the larger ones, where there, there's obvious things that they're leaving out. Usually it's the vote blue, no matter who uh, a podcaster is there that he looks at as well. Uh, we cover news. We have uh, interviews. So there's a lot going on there. We also do tour for the poor. Uh, Rome actually uh, spearheads that. He travels across the country feeding and clothing uh, homeless people. He just got back recently from Jackson, Mississippi. He went down there to give them water. Uh, and I think he's going to Flint, Michigan next uh, to do the same thing. So we're all starting our own uh, mutual aid chapters in our, our areas to continue that aid for people. So that's another thing we're really heavily on is uh, mutual aid uh, and direct action. Um, I just got back uh, actually just a couple weeks ago from the Assange rally in D.C., yeah. Um, so that was a big deal. Uh, we we try to be, you know, to to really highlight what is happening on the ground um, and the need for mutual aid and how people can help. Um, so we we do the best that we can with the resources that we have. Uh, when I did the Assange rally, I used my phone. <laughs> like people yeah. don't realize, I use my phone to like stream those events. But we really try to get people to to help uplift their community and not necessarily rely on politicians to do it for them. Right. Yeah. Really grab the bull by the horns. I, I love that. I think that that's awesome. And I think that um, abolition of the police is that what you is that what you were talking about? Mm-hmm. Right. So that. Uh, like anarchists and libertarians and progressives can really coalesce around that issue. And I think there's a lot of synergy there. And that's why I think we need to talk to each other more about that because there's a lot of issues that we actually agree on. 
But mm -hmm. I, I think even even with like third party movements or independent politics, you know, we can get into our echo chambers and uh, because we don't, don't agree on everything, we won't talk to each other. So that's that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, you know, because I think it's an important conversation and, you know, you are taking action. You are um, getting out there and informing people and doing research. So that I had some friends who were at the Assange um, event. My buddy Reed was there with Spike Cohen. And Spike spoke. And uh, how, how was? How did you feel? What like? What were your takeaways from that? And did you feel energized? Did you feel d deflated? Like, how did you feel overall after that? I definitely felt energized. I was surprised at the amount of people that that showed up because in the past, you know, I was told that they're lucky if they get like twenty people at those Assange events in DC. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people came out to this one. I think the names may have had something to do with it. You know, Chris Hedges was one of the speakers. Uh, Scott Ritter was there as a speaker as well. Jill Stein, like those names really bring people out. Medea Benjamin was there from Code Pink, Garland Nixon. Like it was really great to just get a lot of people together that we may not agree on everything, but right. we agree on that particular issue that Julian Assange should be free. Um, and then there was a, a yellow... Uh, taped like banner, so to speak, where we walked around the Department of Justice building uh, with that yellow banner that said free Assange. And yeah, I thought it was it was a great event. I thought the speeches were great. And I really think that, you know, we need to have more things like that happen because I know some people may feel like this is not their issue. But if you especially if you work in independent media, if you care about free speech and free press, this should definitely be your issue because if they can take down Julian Assange, who was a journalist, by the way, they call him a hacker. He was a journalist. Uh, they can take down any one of us. So it's really important that we protect that in some way, shape or form. And I, I just wish I want more people to be informed about that particular issue because some people that I talk to still don't know who Julian Assange is. And, and that's a problem. That's problematic. And it's mainly because mainstream media doesn't really talk about him much. Yeah, exactly. And if they do, they're like, "Oh, isn't he that guy who was accused of rape?" Or he did, you know, he had yep. to live. He had to live in an embassy and hide out because he's a criminal. So they they have a um, perception of him that is formed by uh, the legacy media, and that that's their yep. job to distort the message and uh, you know beat down, kill the messenger essentially. And he he is a publisher and a journalist. He him and um, Chelsea Manning and um, Snowden, the dude who's uh, got got the Russian citizenship. Trump is so jealous. I want to be a Russian citizen, Sabrina. Come on, that's not fair. Um, Snowden, uh, in my opinion, those three did more for humanity and to advance uh, disclosure than than any politician could ever dream to do. That that yeah. would want that would want to. Aside from my old mentor Mike Gravel with the Pentagon Papers, obviously. Mm -hmm. So those are important voices, and uh, we have to still get loud for Julian Assange. And it, it, it's re it was really nice to see that issue bring, like you said, so many people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, genders, races, uh, political beliefs, all come together for freedom of speech and protecting journalism. That's right. Because, That's right. Like you said, if, if we don't have that, we, we don't we don't have anything. And it's 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 so foundational to a free society and an educated society um, and, and taking a stand, you know, against the power elite and what they do in our name every day. You know, so many Americans just aren't even aware 
um, like they know about some of the big conflicts. But you, you were mentioned when we started. You mentioned um, Haiti. I think you mentioned Venezuela. I mean, most Americans are clueless yeah. on on those. And Assange and company exposed the machinations and the fuckery behind the scenes that leads to a coup in Venezuela that leads to a regime change operation in Syria that, that they wanted to have happen that didn't, didn't end up happening. Um, yep. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a big fight, but I certainly uh, respect your voice and, and what you do. And I really appreciate what you do. So I'm really glad I could get you on. So um, before we wrap up here, uh, you, what are you working on now? Do you got any cool interviews coming up or what are, what are the next things you're doing, you know, moving past the midterms next week? Yeah. So uh, mass care is going to be coming on. They're the ones that are actually responsible for pushing the Medicare for all initiative here in Massachusetts. That'll be on the ballot this Tuesday for certain districts. Uh, so they're, they're going to be coming on. Also Max Blumenthal will be back. And Andrew Yang nice. is going to be coming on uh, later this month as well. So, yeah, stay oh, tuned. That, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I sat down with Andrew uh, in early 2019 and had him on my show when he was running in the primary here. Um, he's an interesting guy. I, I, I like a lot about what Andrew Yang says um, in Blumenthal. That's that's awesome. He's I've, I haven't had a chance to talk to him, but his – some of his uh, tweets about Kanye have been uh, pretty spicy and pretty, mm -hmm. in, my, in my opinion, pretty on the target. And obviously, you know, he's a, he's a credible, he's Jewish, he's a credible voice on mm -hmm. that. And that certainly what he says pisses off a lot of people, but you uh, can't call him an anti-Semite. Of course, they will call him self-hating or an anti-Semite, even though he's Jewish. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, well, will. they will. So, ma mass care is that uh, <clears throat> is that different from mass health? Would it, would it be an elevated version of mass health? Mass care is an organization that was an initiative to get uh, Medicare for all on the ballot here in Massachusetts. Kind of similar to CalCare. Uh, California tried this uh, initially first. So Massachusetts decided to they decided to do it a little bit differently. So on the ballot. This Tuesday, only certain certain districts will see that question for Medicare for all. So those out in like Western Mass, there's different districts that were listed on their site. And the idea, I think, is to, to if they can get it passed in at least those districts, then that puts pressure on the remaining districts to do the same thing uh, in Massachusetts. So we'll see if it passed. I mean, hopefully it does, because uh, like I said, this did not do well in California because even though they had the votes, uh, big money came in from big pharma and told them, Nope, don't bring it to the floor for a vote. So hopefully that doesn't happen here if it passed. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll keep an eye on it. I didn't even know about this. I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, what do you think about mass health? Um, my, my, uh, my father had cancer in 2017. He unfortunately passed away from it, but we did move him from New Hampshire to Massachusetts my aunt lives down there and she got him on mass health, you know, for the last bit of his life. I mean, how, how, how is it down there? I mean, it was, there was, there were some things I, I was, I liked about it. Like, you know, obviously it was, it was a tough situation, but you know, we had, we had to make that move. We had to move him from New Hampshire down there to, to at least get something. Mass health is, is tricky because it's, it's means tested. So it depends on your income bracket, whether or not you even will qualify for mass health. So I think this is what a lot of people may not be aware of. Like I, I had a former coworker who lost their job and they applied for mass health and 
they they were not approved, even though they lost their job because of what their income was right at that time. So they were already above the threshold. So it's tricky. Like you have to be within a certain income bracket, basically to the point to, to show that, well, no, I can't you know, I can't get health care for my employer. I can't afford it or whatever. And then you qualify for it. But if mass health wasn't mean tested, I think that would be better for everybody. But unfortunately, it is. Okay, so it's not you can just move to Massachusetts and get on it. It's tied into income. As a, yeah, that's as a and that's test. one of the things they're going to ask you to submit to is uh, your your income verification, whether it's like pay stubs. I think they still do pay stubs now. They ask you to send that, but income verification and uh, you might have to put down. I can't remember because it's been a while, but I think you may also have to put down like how much you're paying for like your housing or it's it's mm. all factored in. So you basically have to prove to them that you cannot afford. To, to pay for to like pay for a Cobra it. or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause you know, I, I try to point to examples of, of a form of universal healthcare, you know, that's not just Canada, but like different States that have it. And I, you know, I thought overall it wasn't, it, it wasn't run terribly in Massachusetts with a little bit mm-hmm. of dealings that I had with it, with, you know, through what happened to my dad and our family, because, you know, I'm, I would still like to see Medicare for all happen in the United mm-hmm. States. It's uh it's a progressive policy that I still believe in and, and still would like to see happen. And, you know, you mentioned before, certainly if we would just scale back our militarism in imperialistic ways, we'd have, we'd have more than enough money to, to do that. That's right. That's Money's right. There, we just, we need the political will and, um, I was a fan of Jimmy Dore's Force the Vote. That was pretty cool. Yep. It was, yep, I mean, that, was nice a, that was a huge one. And it's yeah. and that's another thing, too, is you can't have politicians in the pocket of big pharma. And a lot of politicians in Congress, unfortunately, take money from Blue Cross Blue Shield and Aetna and Cigna and all the other health insurance companies. So as long as you have that in place, they're not going to vote for uh, Medicare for all. And and even the squad wouldn't even force the vote for it because they, again, yeah. they're worried about their political careers. So yeah. uh, this is a big part of the problem. And I think the, the biggest solution in reference to something like that is you have to get corporate money out of electoral politics. I think that's, yeah. that's a big part of it. Yeah. The corporate money out of it. And then it's cer- certainly these ballot initiatives, like, like you just mentioned in Massachusetts. So I'll, I'll definitely keep an eye on that. I'm very interested to, to learn more about that because that, that healthcare for all should just be an obvious one. It's yep. just like slaps you in the face with how obvious it is. And, you know, the problem with that issue is it, it becomes tribal, like, oh, you were dirty socialist. You want healthcare for everybody. And it's like, no, I'm, I'm a humanist. And I, I just think at, at a baseline, that should be something that should be be there for our people. That's right. I agree. So I agree. How, other how countries we, have this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Other, I know not, no system is perfect, but I just, I don't think you should be bankrupted and, and like lose your house and lose everything over a medical mm-hmm. emergency. You know, when, when we're shipping billions and billions of dollars to Zelensky to get cocaine in Ukraine. You know, that's right. It's just, it's, just, it's, just, it's madness, Sabrina. It's just pure madness. Well, I, I really want to thank you for coming on. I really enjoyed this conversation. And if you could just tell the people um, where to find you and how to support you. Absolutely. So you can find me on YouTube. My channel is Savvy Sabs. You can also find me on YouTube at Revolutionary Blackout Network. And you can follow me on Twitter at Savvy Sabs 2. That's the number two. Awesome.
Well, Sabrina, thank you very much. And uh, if you want to hang out for a sec after we end the broadcast, um, we can just chat before we go our separate ways. But uh, everyone here, thank you for tuning in here on a Sunday version of Jackman Radio. And please, if you haven't, subscribe to Sabrina. She, she does great work. And uh, it sounds like she's got a lot of interesting and cool stuff coming up. And subscribe to this channel. Hit that subscribe button. And if you like what you see here, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash jackmanradio. And our Venmo information um, is in the description of this video. So I hope you all have a great rest of your day and a good week coming up and take care of yourselves.